The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 131 of the On The Banks podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thank you so much for joining us once again here on the second week of March 2022. The regular season for Rutgers men's basketball concluded two huge wins to end the regular season. First, a 66-63 win at Indiana, and then followed by on senior day, an emotional day at the rack. Rutgers surviving, beating Penn State 59-58, had a 15-point lead, held on barely at the end, but got the win. And as we saw this last weekend in college basketball, you know, the win is all that matters. First place and co-Big Ten champ Wisconsin losing to then last place and now 13th place Nebraska by one at home. Uh, you also had uh, Ohio State lose at home without Michigan having Hunter Dickinson. They won that game. Nebraska, I should mention, one without McGowan's. Then you see, you know, Duke lose uh, Coach K's last home game at home to North Carolina. So a lot of weird things happen. Purdue barely beat uh, Indiana at home on their senior day. So you never know, especially the last week of the regular season. But Rutgers, for the third consecutive year, comes through in the clutch on the final week of the regular season. They won at Purdue two years ago in overtime. They won last year at Minnesota in overtime. This year they won at Indiana. Ron Harper Jr. with a just massive three with two seconds to play uh, after Indiana had tied it with their own three. And then they survived on on senior day. And, uh, you know, it was obviously, uh, I think, a, a difficult day to play. I, I, I think, you know, for me, looking at Ron Harper Jr. in that game, he, he seemed very emotional. And, um, you know, I, I can only imagine uh, everything going on in that group of seniors' heads. You know, just speaking to them last week, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's clear there's urgency there. They know it's coming to an end. They've they've worked so hard to build what what they have so far. You know, one thing that really uh, for me just signifies how far this team has come. Um, they're now one of only six Big Ten teams to have won ten or more regular season league games in each of the past three seasons. There's Illinois. There's Wisconsin. There's Michigan. There's Ohio State. There's Iowa and Rutgers. Purdue didn't do it. Michigan State didn't do it. Maryland didn't do it. Don't even need to mention Indiana. But times, in my mind, they're they're not changing. They have changed. Rutgers is a legitimate top half Big Ten team for the last three years. What Steve Peichel and this senior class has done, uh, remarkable. But the journey is not over. And now we enter the postseason and a lot to uh, accomplish still. So earning the elusive double by. Best finish in Big Ten regular season play, uh, tie for fourth place with Iowa and Ohio State, but winning the tiebreakers for winning the head-to-head matchups against both of those teams uh, and earning that elusive double by, excuse me, that coveted double by, and now set to play Friday around 2 p.m. We'll face the winner of Iowa versus either Northwestern or Nebraska 
huge game uh, for Rutgers to solidify their NCAA tournament resume. The bracketology projections right now, they're honestly all over the place. Most out there have Rutgers counted in. Obviously, if they play Iowa, there's no potential for a bad loss there. Iowa is right now number 15 in the net. Rutgers holding steady at 76. So, you know, a win obviously would be a huge uh, boost for the resume. Yet again, another quad one victory. They're six and five right now. Michigan's actually ranked number 31. So if they moved into the top 30 by selection Sunday, Rutgers would earn another quad one victory and then the opportunity against Iowa. Now, if Nebraska or Northwestern wins and then they beat Iowa to play Rutgers on in the quarterfinals, obviously a loss to one of those two teams would really be, um, you know, a killer to the resume. Nebraska in particular, a quad three opponent. Uh, Northwestern right now would be a number uh, quad two opponent. But, you know, you could look at it both ways, right? It's potentially an easier path to the Big Ten semifinals, a place Rutgers has never been and last went to a conference semifinals in 1998 in the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. I was there for that. Jeff Billett, of course, beating Georgetown in the quarterfinals on a buzzer beater. So that would be significant as well. So it's kind of juggling everything looking at NCAA tournament implications while also judging history and what this team's accomplishing. By the end of the day, a win on Friday would really put Rutgers in, I think, you know, very solid footing if they're not already, you know, and opinions vary. And we're going to get one uh, in a minute here uh, with this week's guest. But um, the bottom line is, uh, believe it or not, it was 30 days uh, or, or about 31 at this point that Rutgers had not yet beaten with Michigan State. They were 12-9 and nine overall, 6-5 and five in the conference, and nowhere near. They weren't even on the NIT bubble projections that I was reading at the time. And here we are a month later, and we're going into the Big Ten tournament. Rutgers has a double bye with a chance to go to the NCAA tournament back-to-back two years in a row for the first time since the 1974-75 and 1975-1976 seasons. Of course, with this senior group, Geo Baker, Ron Harper Jr., and Caleb McConnell, just making history as they go throughout their entire careers. And to talk about this team, about their potential matchups, preview the Big Ten tournament, and talk about their NCAA tournament possibilities, and just overall what where this program has come over the years, it's my pleasure to welcome in our guests for this week, former Iowa Hawkeye great and current Big Ten network analyst, Jess Settles, and we welcome him in now. It is my pleasure to now welcome into the podcast former Iowa Hawkeye great and current Big Ten Network color analyst, Jess Settles. Jess, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate being on. It's finally, we finally connected. It's great to talk to you and what a season for Rutgers, right? Well, let's just, let's uh, jump right into it. You, uh, you were on the call for Sunday's uh, win over Penn State. Obviously, uh, quite a game. Rutgers led by as much as 15 in the second half. Held on. The entire fan base held their collective breaths to that one-point victory. Uh, what were your impressions from that game and how it ended? It was almost a catastrophic situation, right? <laughs> I mean, the way that thing ended, to not – you had fouls to give, right? And they didn't use fouls to give. And so, Sessoms hits that three and then – Okay, he gets the has to inbounds the ball over along the side. That is a really tough spot to get the ball in because he can't go towards the opponent's basket. So great steal by Lundy. And then, right, I mean, it's March Madness. I mean, you're talking about 
double bye. You're talking about NCAA tournament. You're talking about senior day. It's, I, I think everybody in that gym, including myself, needed to see a counselor the next day because it was, you know, the feeling. I mean, it was almost a brutal loss. Give credit to the guys for hanging in there, but it was a it was a spectacular finish, and both teams played played a lot better in the second half. It was fun to watch. Yeah, Penn State reminds me of a team right now. That they remind me of the way Rutgers was, you know, early on in Steve Peichel's tenure. You know, I was telling people before the game they were not an easy out whatsoever. I, th- I think you know that team is on its way up with Michael Shrewsbury as head coach. In terms of you know surviving that game, obviously just where this team was uh, early on in the season. I know you called the Illinois game as well, which is probably Rutgers' best performance of the season. How surprised are you about wh- where we sit today with Rutgers, where as opposed to where they started the season? I'm pretty surprised. You know, I'm. I used to be a coach and, and I'm an analyst, obviously, and I'm not one of those guys who after the fact looks back and says, oh, man, I wasn't surprised at all. You know, they've got great players and a great coach. I'm, I'm really surprised. They were in real trouble. I mean, you cover them more than I do. It was, it was just not working out. Tough losses, you know, some really bad losses, which in, in this modern era of the net and all that, those bad losses just seem to kill a team. I don't agree with it, but it's just the reality that we live in, so it's, it's hard to overcome that. And good thing they play in the Big Ten, as Pike will tell you, it's just a brutal league and it's really hard to beat anybody, uh, even Nebraska, tough of, as they every year it's been for them. They're all of a sudden now a team that nobody wants to play. So they had their opportunities. I think the win at Wisconsin was just massive and it, no one really wins there. And for those guys to do that was, was special. And they'd have the opportunities to play against ranked team after ranked team after ranked team, got them back. But even I, I, again, and I'm I'm in the business. I don't understand the bubble, and I don't understand the analytics like some of the experts do. I I mean, even going into the Penn State game, it's like people are saying they might not make the tournament. And I I just to me, it's kind of who you played and who you beaten. But I'm not the one who's doing the selection, the selecting. But yeah, I was surprised. I'm surprised that they were able to claw back in this. So obviously, you know, you've been around the Big Ten for decades. Uh, you were, you know, first team all Big Ten selection with Iowa in, in the uh, 90s. Uh, not to date you, I'm, uh, we're the same age, so I don't feel bad saying uh-huh. that. But uh, um, in terms of just how the league has changed, obviously, you know, more teams now, but the style of play, you know, the Big Ten's always been one of the best conferences in the country. But how has it changed from when you played to, to how it is now? You know, I would say just the first couple of things that come to mind, and a lot of listeners, your listeners probably have a different opinion of, you know, people who are our age. Uh, back, in, back in that time, uh, everybody stayed in school uh, three to four years. Most guys, four years. Um, even when you looked at the other night, I watched some of the North Carolina Duke, uh, Coach K last game, and all the former players came back. And you know, there's Grant Hill, a four-year guy sitting in the stands. Shane Battier, I think uh, – four-year guy, maybe a three-year guy. There's Christian Leitner, four-year guy. Uh, Bobby Hurley, obviously, all those teams. So that's the way it was back then. I think it was my sophomore year when Jerry Stackhouse from Carolina and Joe Smith from Maryland and Iverson maybe, right in that Antoine Walker from Kentucky. That was kind of just the explosion. Uh, The year before, Kevin Garnett came straight out of high school and that was, that was just unheard of. I mean, it hadn't happened in years for an elite player to do that. 
So you were coming, you were going up every single night back in the day against veteran chiseled pro level guys. My freshman year in the Big Ten, uh, I would play against Glenn Robinson, who was the number one pick out of Purdue one night. Alan Henderson, who was a first round pick out of Indiana the next night, then go up against the Fab Five. Weber had left the year earlier, just to, going on the, with the script we're talking about. But it was Jawan Howard and Jalen Rose and Jimmy Jackson and Ray King. And then you go to Wisconsin and play against Michael Finley, who had a wonderful pro career. So all none of those guys in today's day and age would have even been in school. So that alone just made it so elite. And, you know, those teams were scoring 90 to 100 points when they when they started going through the the, the clean up the physical play, the, the freedom of movement, you know, they, because scoring was down, it was a, it was a, it's mostly because, in my opinion, a, a lot of the elite players aren't even in college anymore. And elite players can score no matter what the rules are. The second part of that was just the physicality tied into that. I mean, this Rutgers team and Steve Peichel and his staff, they would have loved, I mean loved, playing in the 90s. They, they would have been built for it. I mean, Amori. Geo and especially Ron Harper Jr. Paul Paul Mulcahy Paul Mulcahy would have loved being able to play as chippy as he does in the '90s. We didn't have Flagger one and Flagger two. People didn't go to the monitors. We didn't stop it at the end of the game. It was just you had to be extremely physical and tough and skilled to play. So those two things were probably the biggest difference. But we'll never get back to that, and and that's okay. This is this is an exciting brand as well. I love all that insight, and you kind of touched on something that that as a, a Rutgers fan, we've always wanted and never had before this year uh, is having those a veteran team going into the postseason. We've seen it, you know, over the last few years. You know that that senior leading teams can make unexpected runs in in March. How well positioned do you think? You know, if Rutgers does get into the NCAA tournament, can this team, you know, make a special run? I believe in them. It's all about matchups. You know, I just kind of had a flashback the last year of all the struggles the Big Ten had in the tournament. A lot of people don't remember it, right? Rutgers had that game won to advance to the Sweet 16, and a couple of the guys who transferred out kind of didn't make plays down the stretch. And that was – was that against Houston? Yes. Yeah, that one – that was never – not talked about much, but they, they had it right there. They were up. They were up nine with about four minutes to go, and uh, they they missed a, a. Miles Johnson was hurt, and he uh, he missed an alley oop, and uh, Houston hit a three on the other end, and and that was uh, that was all they needed to to turn the game around. Yeah, that I that uh, so yeah, these guys they've got to be pretty bitter about that still. Uh, a couple teammates leaving. I think if they get the right matchups, uh, they got a chance to get to the second week on the air the other day they have three or four guys who can play well down the stretch. They have three or four scores. Most teams don't. Uh, most teams you can game plan for a couple guys. A lot of teams just even one guy. So I, I think Coach Michael was very confident the uh, la- last two or three minutes, especially against teams that don't know the Big Ten. Uh, it, it, these kids get sick of it by this time of year, just going up against teams that have them mastered. Everybody knows the tendency. Everybody knows the scouting report. Everybody knows who goes left and who goes right. Who pump fakes. Now, we get in the tournament. You imagine 17, 18, 19-year-olds sitting in that room. I've been there before. You've got a 24-hour turnaround. And, you know, you don't, you don't know that Geo Baker and Mulcahy can post up the way they post up. And you watch a few minutes of tape on them. But I, I'm, I'm bullish on this team. I 
it's, it's huge that they got the double by. Um, they can get their legs back. They can train. From being around these guys, they're really true professionals. If you've been to a practice, if you've been to a shoot-around, there's always a couple of them staying later, working on their game. They study a ton of tape. They still remember that nobody else wanted them. They're built for March, and yet, you know, they, they're going to have to score some points. There, there are too many times in the game, like against Penn State, where they don't score, and uh, that's a problem. So transitioning a little bit, uh, talking about the Big Ten tournament uh, this week, obviously well, kind of a wide-open field. You mentioned Nebraska, uh, you know, arguably the hottest team going into this thing. Uh, what, what are your kind of some, some initial thoughts on how this tournament's going to play out? You know, that Iowa is really on fire right now. They lost to Illinois the other night, which helped Rutgers obviously with the double bye, I believe, but they missed. I think the, I think Keegan and Chris Murray missed six out of seven free throws in the last minute and a half of that game. They had Illinois beat. They've been, they've been hammering beat teams by 10 plus points. You know, I, I think they have a, a real opportunity. It's, it's always so interesting in the Big Ten tournament. The size of Purdue, the size of Illinois, how does that translate on the court? Obviously, it's very difficult to stop Edie and Williams, but you can pull them out on the perimeter with your quicker players. And just, just exactly, I mean, think about Reber, it, with the way he played in that game in the first five minutes, right? It's just those guys, are, the guys who can stretch those big guys, kind of shocks the game plan a little bit. And uh, that's that's what I'm always intrigued by. I mean, Kofi Coburn down the stretch against Iowa was guarding Chris Murray. Well, that was advantage Chris Murray if the, at the offensive end. Now, how do you stop Kofi at the defensive end? So I'm always, I'm always fascinated to see if those big teams can dominate. Is Johnny, is Johnny Davis healthy? Because if he's not, obviously Wisconsin's not going to be a factor. It's probably Purdue and Illinois and everybody else trying to game plan against them. So talking about Iowa, obviously I agree with you. You know, they, they've been playing amazing uh, down the stretch, not in as bad of a position as Rutgers was, but, you know, they were they were around 500 for the first six, seven, eight games the Big Ten play, have really started to figure it out. Um, you know, they, they'll probably they'll draw either Nebraska or Northwestern. It's weird to say as a Rutgers fan that, you know, we, we're, we're waiting on Iowa to win to potentially play that game, not the other way around. Obviously, that first matchup, you know, we'll, we'll never see another 48-46 Iowa-Rutgers game probably again. Uh, <laughs> what are some of the uh, keys that you think uh, this time around that will be important for, for both sides? Let's see. How long ago was that game? I'm like, uh, my, yeah, my mind is uh, That was a while ago. That was in January. Uh, it was on um, uh, mid-January, and uh, Rutgers... They were trailing at the half. It was on January 19th, so about uh, almost two months ago. You know, Rutgers held a, a plus 10 rebounding advantage. Both teams shot under 30% in the game. So that was right before Rutgers made their awesome run, right? Yeah, it was actually right before they uh, they lost three of four to bottom teams in the conference. So we actually, you know, Iowa was hope that, hey, maybe they're figuring it out. And then they right away, they, they kind of went in the tank a little bit before they even got hot in February. Yeah, so I think both fan bases would probably say that you can't you don't even recognize either team at this point. So I wouldn't I would hardly be able to take anything from that game just the confidence level and I I know I know even like you said maybe three or four games ago 
I don't think Iowa was on the bubble. Their net ranking was very impressive, and yet they were still kind of looking for signature road games, road wins, and they won at Ohio State pretty soundly. And then all of a sudden, people started paying attention. So right now, Iowa is shooting the ball at a high clip, and they have five guys on the court who can flat-out shoot it and are on fire right now. The ball is snapping, and so what that does – is it gives them an opportunity to set up their defense. And people don't really think about that enough. I mean, Matt Painter, Purdue, always says, look, if we take good shots, it, it carries over to defense because we can set up. We're not constantly sprinting back and, and trying to stop, you know, Ron Harper Jr. coming down at, coming down our throats and match up. So that's going to be key. Rutgers' defense is going to have to really find those shooters. Iowa's defense went from not even being able to compete with anybody on the glass to now – I believe they have not lost a game where they've won the boards. I believe it's like 18 or 19 games where they've won the boards and they're undefeated. And that might have changed against Illinois. I didn't look at the final box score. But this Iowa team, Keegan Murray is going to be a lottery pick. Uh, it's going to be it, – it's really tough to match up with them. Now, that being said, uh, I said a couple games ago calling Rutgers that, I, that Reber's and Mulcahy and Amori – there haven't, there's probably not a trio in the league that have improved more over the last two months in season than those three. And when Mulcahy played the way he did at Northwestern, I think he had 31. And that second half, Heichel and those guys were, and Brandon Knight and Hobbs, where they were running set plays for him. And they, after that, they started doing that a lot more. And when you talked, even talking to Shrewsbury for Penn State the other day, he said, look, we're, he was talking a lot about Mulcahy and how he kind of stirs the, stirs the cup. And when he gets in that middle paint area, whether it's against a zone or a man, he's just such a problem. He hit that little fader. He, you know, he's physical. He had the Kevin McHale moves down on the post. So all those, that trio is so much better and more effective. The Amori, what Mamori did against Indiana at the free throw line and Hyatt as well, that's just, you know, look, you just – People criticize the coaches, win or lose, but it's the players have to step up and make plays, right? And they did. Those were you. So I, I'm. It's a fascinating matchup um, between two teams that really won't even recognize each other when they play. Yeah, re- really good points. And um, you were right. Uh, Illinois did out rebound Iowa by three in that game on Sunday, and uh, but like you said, was lost at the free throw line. But yeah, Rutgers, Iowa uh, was 48-46. Keegan Murray and Ron Harper Jr. went head-to-head in that game. You know, obviously, like you said, Keegan Murray, uh, you know, uh, arguably um, the best player in the conference this year versus Harper Jr. How do you see that matchup? But, you know, he held Murray to 13 in that first matchup. You know, how do you see things going this time around? Well, you know, it's probably whoever wins that matchup is going to win the game. Keegan is, uh, like, Keegan gets better and stronger. I mean, both, both kids are just so strong. They both love playing in the nineties where they didn't have to worry about fouling out. Like we talked about before, but you know, Ron Harper jr. Uh, just has that ability to uh, surge and take over three or four minute segments of the game. Uh, Geo the same way. If one of them has, you know, 20 plus points in the game, their team's probably going to win. That's how, that's how important they are to it. And it's going to be, it's just going to be probably who wins the boards. I mean, kind of the elementary version. It, with Iowa, if they if they win the boards, they win. If they lose the boards, they lose. I don't know what the statistics are for uh, Rutgers in that category, but uh, they Rutgers is going to try to keep it low scoring. But you know, like I said, throw out the first game. It's going to be they're not going. You're not going to hold Iowa under 
50, 60 points anymore. It's just not going to happen. So Rutgers, yeah. Rutgers going to have to score. I would say Rutgers going to have to score close to 70. And uh, what do you think? What, do you, what are you looking for in that matchup? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I, and touching on what you mentioned before, I mean, Iowa defensively, they're much better this year than people realize. They're actually fifth in the conference in defensive efficiency. Um, so I, I think, you know, how both teams adjust from the first time, but I, I agree with you. Rutgers is going to have to score in that game. I think holding Iowa around 70 would still be considered a really good uh, defensive performance. Um, but I think it, for Rutgers, it starts with the boards. They have to, they have to win the boards against Iowa. And I think that's what cost them in Penn, against Penn State in the second half. That's what Penn State did against Illinois in the second half. Um, so for Rutgers, obviously, they, you know, their offense comes from their defense. But really also when they, when they rebound as a team, and, and that goes for Ron Harper Jr. too, they're like 9-1 and one when he gets at least eight rebounds in a game. Oh, so, wow. you know, they, they need to be active on the glass and, and can't give Iowa second chance points because, um, as you know, they'll, they'll burn them pretty quick. In terms of the rest of the Big Ten tournament, any team you're looking at as a potential sleeper to make a, make a run here? I'm trying to think if a uh, sleeper, you know, it's weird. Uh, McGowan for Nebraska didn't even play in the game against Wisconsin, the, the elite freshman, which how Wisconsin lost that game will be talked about for 50 years up there in Madison, right? There's just no way they lost that game. To, get, to have to share the Big Ten title with Illinois – to have Nebraska on your home court with their top player injured, the whole, that's just hard to believe. I, I didn't get a chance to watch that game, but I still can't believe it. Uh, it maybe it's Nebraska, right? So they Nebraska plays what Northwestern, you said? Yep. Okay, so it may, let's say North, let's just pretend that Nebraska wins that game and then they would play against Iowa, right? Correct. They played Iowa tough about four games ago and uh, they were able to, they were doubling Keegan Murray and taking the ball out of his hands, and they were chasing not a box-and-one type of thing, but they were, they were all over Jordan Bohannon. And that's, that's really the formula. You cannot let Iowa shoot threes, whether it's Keegan or whether it's Jordan Bohannon. And Fred Hoiberg said, I'm going to make Chris Murray, and I'm going to make Perkins beat us. And by golly, Perkins and Murray did beat him. But you can mm -hmm. sleep at night. You can sleep at night with that result. It was a tough, hard-fought game. So let's just say – Nebraska pulls the upset and then, you know, then it's, they got Rutgers. So let's, let's say it's the, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but let's just say it's them. I don't, I, I don't, what do you like Northwestern's got a pretty good team. They've, they've kind of been snake bitten this year. Penn state, it, doesn't, it would not surprise me at all. Would it, if Penn state won a game, it wouldn't surprise me. They, they, they have a lot of quality wins. They have a lot of quality wins, but it would still be if Nebraska won a couple that would still be shocking, even though they're playing well right now. I totally agree with you. And I'm glad you mentioned Nebraska because they are uh, remotely putting the fear into all Rutgers fans' hearts because that's the matchup that could be potentially devastating for Rutgers NCAA tournament chances from a net perspective. They're a quad three opponent. So if Nebraska made history and was the first uh, Big Ten team ever to win three, you know, from the opening round, the 11, 14, 12, 13, to win three in a row. No one's ever done it. Uh, if they did it against Rutgers, it probably, or as as a lot of bracketologists are saying, could be a fatal blow for Rutgers' chances. So that matchup scares everybody. <laughs> you guys are tormented over there. We are. You guys we are. are like, like, you don't think you're in right now. I can tell, like, you don't think you're in. Like, a one bad loss. I can't even believe this. I, I, I can't even believe this. You're in, man. You got you to gotta just relax. You're in.
I, I appreciate that. And I, uh, I do value your opinion. You know, there's so many bracketology, <laughs> so many bracketologists and all that stuff, projections, you know, and, and oh, uh, know. it's crazy. Uh, it, it really drives you crazy. And, and obviously, uh, you know, if for Rutgers fans, we look at Iowa as that, that's our, that's our chance, right? If you could beat Iowa, there's no way they can't make the NCAA tournament and probably aren't even in that first, you know, f- first four in. So a huge opportunity. But yeah, if they do end up playing Nebraska, you know, that there's that myth that, you know, it's hard to beat a team three times in a season. You know, statistically, that's not true. But like you said, Nebraska's playing extremely well and uh, probably, you know, as a, a, a 13 seed, still no one really wants to play him. So I, I'm curious to see how Iowa does uh does do if it if it is in fact Nebraska they play on uh, Thursday. Has there ever been a team in the history of the Big Ten finish with the double bye and not make the NCAA tournament? You can get back to uh, me on that. Y- actually, yes, uh, Nebraska. You're kidding. Nebraska was a four seed 2018, and they did not make it. It was ten miles, obviously head coach, but the difference was. Uh, they only had one quad one win and all most of their big 10 wins were all bottom of the conference. I think against the top five in the conference, they, they didn't own one win where the major difference with Rutgers obviously is they, they've literally beaten every team one through 10 uh, in the big 10 standings is actually funny. The only teams that Rutgers hadn't beaten finished 12th and 14th. Oh my gosh. That's unreal. I cannot believe number one, that you remembered that. That 10 miles team did. I can't even believe you remember that. I I had forgotten about that. I had forgotten, but that, yeah, that was, uh, that 10 miles is still sick about that. Has to be, has to be. Uh, so, so yeah, that's gotten mentioned a few times this week, but when you actually look at their resumes, you know, from the big 10, I mean, Rutgers resume is much, much stronger in terms of who they've beaten. I mean, they've beaten five, five teams in the top 25 of the net. You know, they've beaten three in the top 15, Iowa included. Iowa's 15 right now. So, um, yeah, I listen, I agree with you. Uh, I think the eye test, everyone would say Rutgers deserves to be in. But as a Rutgers fan, we've learned over the years, you, 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 you know, you can't take anything for granted. There, there's an old saying, Jess, that uh, we have at Rutgers. It's called the RU screw. And uh, we're, we're all too familiar with it. And uh, obviously that's on the, the minds of all Rutgers fans going into Selection Sunday. Yeah, look, I, I obviously have no insight on this selection deal. I'm always confused by it. I can't even imagine it. But I, I, would, I would feel pretty good if I were Steve Peichel and company for the season that they've had. And, and uh, if it gets to that point, I would – I don't know. You, you've got me rattled right now. There's no question about it. Let me just say that Rutgers is an NCAA tournament team. Let, I mean, come on. Well, and last question for you, Jess. You don't have to ask the Rutgers question, but just in your time covering the Big Ten and seeing where Rutgers has come from under Steve Peichel, from where they were when they entered this conference, you know, how sustainable do you think this success is now that this senior class is moving on and Peichel has built what he has so far? Peichel told me maybe a year and a half ago he said something like I knew this thing had turned around when all the all the friends and family members used to call me on game day to get a ticket behind the bench and I talked about this on the air and he'd say no problem and now they call him on game day and he kind of chuckles at him like I can't even get you in the arena I, I don't have any tickets for you so everybody's figuring that out that you better plan around Rutgers game you can't be calling the coaches on the game day to try to get a front row seat I think it's very sustainable uh because he's recruiting Jersey well He's got, he's got a system in place that, uh, that travels the defense and the rebounding. I know Pat Hobbs is all in. Uh, the arena, 
as long as they have that home court advantage, uh, they, they, that's going to be, as the Big Ten money, the Big Ten network money continues to flow in, there are going to be some tough decisions to make there because it seems to me if you go and build the concert hall uh, and the wide open big, big arena for all the conventions and stuff, it, it costs you a serious amount of wins. I, I think if they played in one of those big places like that, it would almost hurt them rather than help them. You know, you look at Duke's setup. Uh, Penn State used to have a place where it was tough to win in, the old the wreck, they might have called it. Now they've got that big open air place, and, and it's just tough. It's tough to have a home court advantage. So I'm, I'm very you, – you know I love Michael and Hobbs and Brandon Knight. You know I'm believers in them, and I like the style they play, and I, I just hope it really works out for them. And, and uh, they've done a wonderful job, right? It's just I, – I, I even – I talked to Tom Young, the old legendary coach from the glory days. I've talked to him a couple times this year. And Tom said, look, I, I hope people understand it's almost impossible to turn that place around. But he said to be able to do it against Big Ten competition, he said, is even more impressive. And so he has nothing but great things to say about Michael. And I hope you guys are able to keep, keep him and I hope it keeps rolling. Jess Settles, former Iowa Hawkeye great and current Big Ten analyst. Thank you so much for everything. Really appreciate all your great insight and all your great coverage and, and calls on, on Rutgers games this year. All right, buddy. You, you make sure you get over to Steakhouse 85 and you tell Karen and Matt that I said give you the uh, Steve Peichel table. That's where they let me sit. Thanks so much to Jess Settles for all his great insight. It was great talking uh, just about college basketball, reminiscing about the 90s, and obviously talking about the Big Ten. And, and you know, it's obvious how much respect uh, he has for Rutgers. And, you know, for fans, obviously, you know, it's been a long time coming uh, for us to see, uh, you know, other fan bases and and other people in the conference give such respect to Rutgers. So it was great to have Jess on and uh, just hear everything he had to say. And obviously extremely knowledgeable about college basketball and had a, a great playing career in his own right. Did want to touch on a few things before uh, uh, leaving um, Rutgers in general right now. Uh, Rutgers men's lacrosse ranked number three in the country at 6-0. and Men, uh, Women's lacrosse number four, uh, 13 now. Uh, best start in program history at 6-0. and Baseball is off to the best start since 1962, 9-1. Softball uh, had an up-and-down weekend, but is still 13-7, and seven, far exceeding last year's win total uh, of just eight. Seven Rutgers wrestlers qualified for the NCAA championships after this past weekend at the Big Ten championships. That's the most since 2017. Uh, and then even a program like swimming and diving. You know, they had uh, six divers and five swimmers qualify for the NCAA regional event to go to, to nationals. So that's taking place this week. Track and field, uh, freshman Alex Carlson set two more records. She set four records in the indoor uh, for the program. Just so many accomplishments for track and field in the big, big 10 indoor season, big 10 championships coming up for them. So something to watch there as well. Uh, and then rowing, you know, season will start soon. They're ranked number eight in the country to start the year after a number seven finish. So my point in all of this, you know, and then with basketball, you know, Rutgers just proving once again in 2022 that they belong in the Big Ten and not only belong in the Big Ten, but can be successful and one of the best athletic programs across all sports in the Big Ten Conference. It's been a great year so far. Stick with us here at On the Banks as we get into the thick of March. And hopefully next week we'll have a complete NCAA tournament preview for you. Visit all our coverage here at onthebanks.com, OTB underscore SB Nation uh, on Twitter. And thanks so much for listening to us once again here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation 
and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.